Hi, this is Monica Lopez. Before we get to our podcast, I want to let you know that Making Contact is supported mostly by our listeners. We're a nonprofit shop with a small yet mighty team. In other words, a little goes a long way for us, and a little more goes a lot longer. So if you can, please go to our website, radioproject.org, and make a tax-deductible donation. Thanks. Happy holidays. And here's the show. I'm Andrew Stelzer, and this is Making Contact. It has been said that I have two alternatives. Either go to jail or go to the Army. But I would like to say that there is another alternative. And that alternative, that alternative is justice. And... You probably recognize this voice. He was known as the greatest boxer, Muhammad Ali. And if justice, if justice prevails, I will neither go to the army nor will I go to jail. Muhammad Ali died this year, leaving behind a legacy of speaking out against racism and imperialism that influenced the entire world but thousands of other local social justice leaders passed away this year. People doing crucial work in their communities, many whose deaths didn't make the headlines. On this edition of Making Contact, we'll hear words from and about some of the fallen heroes of 2016. My name is Silvio Carrillo, and I'm the nephew of Berta Cáceres, indigenous rights leader uh, who died and was killed uh, earlier this year. And she was part Lenca, her father was part Lenca, and uh, she started working for their rights, for their rights to get an education, for their rights to own land, healthcare. In our understanding of the cosmos, we are beings who come from the earth, from the water, and from the corn. The Lenca people are ancestral guardians of the rivers, in turn protected by the spirits of young girls, who teach us that giving our lives in various ways for the protection of the rivers is giving our lives for the well-being of humanity and of the planet. She would say that it was the indigenous people who could best take care of the land. Like, they are the soul of the land and it nourishes them and they nourish it and they need it for nourishment. Despertemos, despertemos humanidad. Ya no hay tiempo. Nuestras conciencias serán sacudidas. Let's wake up. Let us wake up, humankind. We are out of time. We must shake our conscience free of the rapacious self-destruction caused by capitalism, racism, and patriarchy. Our Mother Earth, militarized, fenced in, poisoned, a place where basic rights are systematically violated, demands that we take action. Let us build societies that are able to coexist in a just and dignified way that protects life. Let us come together and remain hopeful as we demand and care for the blood of the Earth and its spirits. It's unclear who uh, assassinated her, but yet it's crystal clear 
Um, it's, it's the wealthy elite establishment that has controlled Honduras since the coup, a coup which was supported by the U.S., uh, by, especially by the State Department, Hillary Clinton. The U.S. helped to put uh, this new government into power, um, which has, since 2009, tried to sell off all the country's resources or places where uh, investment could create uh, hydroelectric dams and mines and, and just there's about upwards of 40 projects that are planned for Honduras uh, where the lands have been sold off. These are indigenous lands that have been sold off. And so, you know, it could have been any, any one of these wealthy landowners, business owners, elites that had a hand in her murder. But to me, there's no doubt that they've all created this situation. And so they all are responsible. Estoy aquí porque creo firmemente que nosotros tenemos derecho como hondureñas y hondureños a tener un país. I am here because I firmly believe that we, as hondureños, have the right to have a country with equality, with transparency, with liberty. And we have to build it now or never. Currently, we do not have that right. And now we are being violated worse than ever. So we are called all of us, to a cause that isn't just about one person. It's not just about one organization, but of the enduring community in general. And we would feel like cowards not to act, to fail our history. So that is why we are here. Y nos sentiríamos cobardes, no estar, faltarle a la historia. Entonces por eso estamos aquí. I'm Carol Queen. I'm the staff sexologist at Good Vibrations, a store that Joni Blank founded almost 40 years ago. And Joni invited me to come and work one day a week in the store in 1990. I've been here ever since. I was working as a sex counselor in a sex counseling program at University of California, San Francisco, working primarily with pre-orgasmic women, that is women who had never experienced orgasm. And I, after I did that I, for a while, I decided it would be really important for there to be a really great source for women to acquire sex toys and vibrators and other sex toys, as well as books and films and videos to help them improve their sex lives. And she founded a women-oriented sex shop, little tiny one in the Mission District of San Francisco, size of a postage stamp. Right now, there are 10 stores in our little tiny empire. I'm told that I'm a pioneer, and I guess it's true because Good Vibrations was the first store of its kind in the country. For many years at the beginning, we always had a woman working in the store, either myself or somebody else, another woman. So there was not a man behind the counter, which helped a lot of women feel more comfortable coming in there. She really, really oriented her business around aesthetics and comfort, ease of communication, and knowledge. The products we were selling, the product selection was not quite as important as the kind of attitude we put forth about them. We were tapping into a need that was already coming forth in people's minds for women to actually learn more about their sexuality, not depend on a man to tell them about it. Women could get access to info, a comfortable place to shop for good stuff, lubricant for heaven's sake. I'm old enough to remember when you couldn't find any dang lubricant. 
and a lot of um, acceptance of, of variations in terms of what arouses a woman. It's not the same for everybody. Um, what the, the role of fantasy in their sex lives and how okay it is for them with given their upbringing and stuff to take some initiative around sex or to ask for something to be different or to just talk about sex, period, to use the words and be told that it's really okay for them to get what they want around sex and to learn how to ask for it. Without her, this space obviously, Good Vibrations wouldn't exist. Without Good Vibrations, there's a whole generation now, or generation and a half even really, of women and trans folk and queer folk around the country who are making stores where information, education, diverse ideas about what sexuality can be, those ideas wouldn't be as widespread as they are now. And in a culture that really wants to talk about how important relationships are, how important monogamy is even still in, in many places, I just wish that they took a little more seriously the significant role of sexuality in people's comfort level. Busting shame, giving information, and Joni understood all that so thoroughly. My name is Ebony Williams. I'm with Chosen Diamonds, a girl youth mentoring group. I knew Darren Seals from the protest of August 9, 2014. I met him during the Mike Brown protest. We were out in the streets, blocking the streets and the highways and shutting it down. Some people came out for the money, maybe for the attention and the fame. He didn't have to do all of that. He was working a, a nice nine to five that paid him a lot of money at GM. So he already had money before he came out, so that wasn't an issue. His main issue was to change the world, to reform the community, take the community back. We need grassroots organizations from the people in, in the community. People who, from the struggle. You ain't gonna, and people are on leadership. Leadership don't come from Yale, Princeton. Leadership don't come from Harvard. They ain't been through this shit. Huey Newton was a gangster. Malcolm X was a pimp. I ain't no, I only like Martin. I ain't no real big fan of him, but even him, he was a poor ass preacher. Cause you gotta go through some to be a leader. You gotta have that pain in your heart. I got a lot of friends, man, I lost 10 people last year. Six of them was friends, four of them was family. I wanna see the world change for my people. Cause we the ones suffering. When all this over with, when all the GoFundMe's dry, when all the Black Lives Matter ain't, ain't trending no more, guess what? It's still gonna be done. Back to square one. So when niggas finally come together, and if you from St. Louis, you know niggas never come together here. The one time we actually came together was when Mike Brown died. A lot of people still getting killed. Like Mike Brown should have been the last Mike Brown. How many Mike Browns has it been since Mike Brown? Ask yourself that question. He knew what it was like to live in oppression. He knew what it was like to be scared of the police, even if nothing's wrong. Um, he he know what it's like to to have violence in your community and wanting to stop that violence and, and seeing kids struggling and wanting to stop them from struggling and offer them the benefits in which they are denied from the resources that are supposed to be offered to everybody. Man, man money at the root of all evil. Being broke is the root of all evil. White supremacy is the root of all 
evil in this country. Power. A lot, of, a lot of black people got money, man, but they don't got no power. They don't know how to use it. That's why the government, they're going to war every year, taking resources, land, gold, oil. We the only ones still caught up on money, man. Them white folks, they know what they doing. They on the, they on the power trip. They making us, it's like Hunger Games, man. They at the top eating, but we at the bottom just killing each other over bullshit. When Ferguson happened, we didn't just come out during August night and stay out for a couple of days or when stuff got hard, he didn't just go in. He stayed out literally all the way to the end. I believe that it always was something in him and I think it just became more apparent on August night. I get pulled over right here. They pull out, point the guns at me. You seen the whole thing, right? They point the whole, they pointed guns on me and my, and my 14 year old little brother, it's Ferguson PD. They pull, they pull guns on me and my little brother. They run up to the car, they pull them out, grab me by my heart, slam me out the car, put me in cuffs, search my car illegally without my permission. Yeah, I seen them, that's what I have no, I, did give, I gave them no permission to, to they search my vehicle. I told them they don't have consent to search my vehicle. They search my vehicle anyway. They pull me off the ground, they making calls to the detective. The detectives come, they search my car, say there's nothing in there. They say, did you go to the Trump rally? I said, yeah. He said, you post about Trump on Facebook? I said, yeah. I said, what's that illegal now? He said, no, there's nothing wrong with that, but you might wanna, you might wanna pick your enemies better. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, uh, some people quote unquote called in and said, I slang a lot of dope, and I make a lot of money, and I post this against Trump. I said, it's bull Everyone who follow my page knows I work six days a week. What drug dealer you know gonna be a public activist? You understand? So this ain't about selling no drug. This is about they're trying to pump fear into us young black men who got who got bars to stand up against people like Trump, people like Hillary, people like Darren Seals unified die. He always felt like that without unity, there is nothing that we can really accomplish, which is a true statement. We'll be right back. You're listening to Making Contact. Because of generous support from listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and South Africa. To find out how to support us, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Now back to more of our annual dedication show, featuring some of the social justice leaders who passed away in 2016. My name is Luis de la Garza. I've known or knew Horacio Roque Ramirez for 21 years. I met him at uh, UC Berkeley when I was uh, working at the Ethnic Studies Library. Back then it was just uh, the Chicano Studies Library. And then when he started formulating his work, his research, with uh, oral history being uh, at the core it is simply not an option not to be both an archivist and an oral historian. 
uh, as we seek to write new narratives of queer communities of color. Perhaps the archivist whose passion is precisely to find, gather, collect, and organize, and the queer historian who will come to these already made archives do have that procedural or methodological privilege not to have to be both. But when records and the narrators whose lives are documented therein are in similar states of neglect, as I would argue those of queer people of color continue to be for the most part, the academy or the community-based historian has to be patient enough, persistent enough, pushy enough, and faithful enough in the unpredictable process of looking for the traces of the living and of the dead. His work involved the period between the 1960s and the 1990s in the Bay Area uh, and involved the ideas of, of, um, of trying to do the counter-narrative to what we normally read or, or see in terms of, uh, of an LGBT history, which is usually centers around white and, and male sort of history. This is not about just theorizing or conferencing, as good as all of that is, but about the patience to communicate honestly and openly with those with relatively less power, with still no guarantees about what community history can be about. And I do invoke both community and history. I privilege community because it's what could sustain us, even when we forget to acknowledge it, and history and history, because without it we're literally groundless. No context for the present, much less what we struggle for in our futures. There was like this promise, this unspoken promise, that Horacio was going to give us the definitive sort of history on Latinos, Latinas, queer folks in the Bay Area, and everyone was anticipating that. For me, you know, a queer man in my you know, mid to upper 30s is still in the context of AIDS. This history still matters. It gives me a larger frame of survival and, and genealogy, you know, in a very queer way. His book that everyone was waiting for was a matter of, of having a permanent record in terms of our lives, in terms of our, our, our losses, our loves, of, you know, everything that one goes through. It was something that I think a lot of us were, were relying on, you know, not knowing that, that you know, that he was going to pass away at a young age and also before his work got completed. My name is Tom Rainey-Smith. I uh, work in the strategic program as a coordinator at Amnesty International Korea. We have been actively engaging on policing of demonstrations and freedom of assembly. And of course, through this, we uh, came to know the, the story and the situation of farmer Vietnam Gi. <laughs> Farmer Beknam Gi is now a household name in South Korea. He attended a protest on the 14th of November uh, of 2015. Uh, it was a major demonstration. Uh, around about 100,000 people gathered on the streets of Seoul. Um, and the police uh, actually had set up and erected these uh, water cannons. These were used on the demonstration and 
Unfortunately, Mr. Beck uh, was struck directly uh, in the head and struck to the ground by one of these water cannons. The injuries he sustained turned out to be fatal, so he was knocked into a coma. Um, and he was in the coma for 317 days before he eventually passed away this year at, on the uh, 25th of September. So he, at a young age, had been expelled from uh, university for being a student leader. So he was, he was very active from a young age. And he even did some time in prison during the Chanduhan dictatorship years uh, in the early 80s when martial law was implemented around the country. When he attended the rally, he was at the time with his fellow farmers was demanding that the government guarantee the uh, domestic rice prices that they had pledged to do. You know, he's become more than just a symbol of, of farmers in South Korea now. He's, he's very much seen as a kind of icon of, of I guess, the wider uh, democratic movement. Kelly. I'm a professor of history and black studies at UCLA. Uh, I was a student of Cedric Robinson back in the 1980s. Uh, he directed my dissertation on the Communist Party in Alabama and really changed, changed my life uh, with the publication of his 1980s landmark book, uh, Black Marxism. Marx didn't understand that much. And as a consequence, he left gaping holes in his history of capitalism. I wanted to make the argument that capitalism doesn't produce racialism, but racialism produces the kind of capitalism that we have all experienced. So what uh, Cedric actually did was he kind of revised our understanding, uh, not only of Western Marxism, but the source of Black Revolt in the New World. He authored several books, again, all of them really underread, like An Anthropology of Marxism, a book called Forgeries of Memory and Meaning. The notion of Black radicalism does not have borders, boundaries, racial qualifications, etc. There is Black radicalism because that social injustice has very often targeted African and African-American people. Another thing that, that Cedric, which I think is incredibly important for movements today, and that is his rejection uh, or his, his, his um, exposure of the myth of leadership, that uh, the idea that charismatic leaders, uh, you know, determine the shape and character of social movements. We must refrain from telling ourselves lies that the electoral system can address uh, 
the injustice in this society. And then we can leave it to somebody else, someone who is flawed, someone who is inadequate, someone who has um, a flexible moral uh, structure to do what we think has to be done. Cedric was a brilliant teacher, and the art of teaching is something that's lost. If we had done a better job teaching our students, they wouldn't be traumatized by Trump's uh, election, you know, to be honest. Um, but Cedric took teaching very seriously, always going to the root of a question, always challenging common sense. They would have understood the forces that made this possible. Uh, and a lot of those forces have to do with the nature of race and racism. So we have many disadvantages, particularly for those of us who went through universities 30, 40 years ago, have many disadvantages from the get-go. There were no ethnic studies, there were no gender studies. We had to invent those. We invented them because is a way of surviving in an academic and intellectual world in which we'd be negated. Cedric Robinson not one to dismiss the white working class as hopelessly racist. You know, he, that's not his thing. What he would argue, and what he has argued, is that um, the formation of a white working class took place within a discursive um, field in which racial hierarchy had become a kind of common sense. Um, it wasn't always that way, and in the 19th century and the 18th century, it, it was a struggle to achieve that, to, to, to basically make the way we understand the world viewed completely through a racial lens. And so what we're witnessing are white middle and working class people who may have legitimate class grievances, but those grievances can only be understood through a racial lens, the lens that they carry with them that's a product of, of modern society, not just in the United States, but globally. When I was a young man, I became very proud of being black. I'm prouder and prouder since then. But my pride has to be tempered by the fact that other people have reasons to be proud as well. But no one has reason to be proud of being unjust. In, in so we have to draw the line somewhere. And that's it for this edition of Making Contact. To learn more about the people we heard from today, check out our website, radioproject.org. That's also where you can download a copy of the show or get our podcast. Lisa Rudman is our executive director. Monica Lopez, Marie Chia, RJ Lozada, and Anita Johnson, producers. Quan Booth is digital content and community engagement manager. Sabine Blazon is our audience engagement director. And our development associate is Vera Teichholzler. I'm Andrew Stelzer. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. We leave you with the words of another fallen hero of 2016, journalist and media critic Ben Bagdikian. 
I would suggest something else to the directors, stockholders, and executives who control our mass media. For years, you had no problem with prolonged and detailed news on the need to defeat communist ideology and communist empires, or in the need for large defense appropriations, despite the growing debt. You use your newscasts and front pages in glowing detailed stories of armed fights against foreign armies. I would remind our media owners that today we have battles closer to home. Our schools and our cities are falling apart. Our jobs and families are deteriorating. As a people, we are losing faith in our political system. It is not enough to have high-sounding editorials. People need basic information that is at the center of their personal and family lives and the future lives of their children. People need this in the major news media day in and day out. They need it on the 6 o'clock and 11 o'clock news, and they need it on the front pages. I would suggest to those who control our mass media that if there is a failure, it is not in problems with the media machinery. The fault is in those who control the machinery. Tell me again when the filth of the butcher is washed in the blood of